Thank you, worship team. Let's stand together as we read our text today. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. If you'll watch on the screen, also Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 18 today. I know we've taken some time this morning to update you, but I, I promise you that I would keep you updated on this process here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Is it on the screen? All right, let's read it together out loud. Follow me. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, that's, that, that is the place of the departed dead, that's really death itself. Let's say it again. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Could we just read that again? Just one text of verse to spring us into our, our subject today. Here it is. Say it again. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. May you bless your word today to our hearts. May Christ our Savior be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much today. We're in a series we've titled Rediscovering the Church. In fact, we have it on our sign out here. And today we are going to rediscover our ministry Everyone say ministry. And what I mean by that is when, when often we say ministry and then you think vocational, full-time, going to seminary, but I'm talking about service. Everyone has a place to serve in the kingdom of God. Today we're rediscovering the church. We're rediscovering our ministry. When I say church, I'm not referring to a building. You understand there was no buildings for over 300 years. And yet without a building, the church thrived in the first century. It's, it's a miracle. Get a book of church history. It will amaze you. It all started in an upper room in Jerusalem, of which it probably wasn't the room, but anyway, they say it is. Do you know there's like two or three places they say Jesus died in Jerusalem and all the tour guides will take you there and say, oh, this is the place. Well, we know it was there outside Jerusalem and we know it was in Jerusalem where they came out of the upper room, 120, and they spread the gospel around the whole world. And so it's to us. It reached us here in this city. When I say the church, I mean the term that Jesus referred to. The Greek word is ekklesia. And it means, hear this definition, a meeting, a gathering of people who are called together and brought together for a purpose. Do you know that we as the church have been called out, but yet called together for a singular purpose to do the mission of Christ? In the New Testament, it could refer to a congregation or a community of people who accept the message of Christ. Listen, who accept the message of Christ, who entrust their lives to him and come together as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's what we are today. We've come out of the world this week, and now we've come into the kingdom of God. We're kingdom citizens. We talk the same language. We have the same spirit. We love the same Savior. We are the children of God. Come on, amen. And this, this group of people called the Ecclesia, they come together as the citizens of the kingdom for the purpose of worshiping and honoring God. Now, sometimes when you see the word ecclesia, it refers to a local congregation. Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, uh, Philippi, you know, etc. 
Sometimes when you see the word ecclesia, you know, just determining on the context, it means the worldwide church. In other words, the church of every person in every place, the church, the blood-bought ones. There was a Rotary Club meeting, and, a, and the, the table was cleared after the meeting of the businessmen, and the meeting started, and the chairman said, uh, who in this room it represents the oldest company? said this to all the businessmen there in the city. Who represents the oldest company in the city? And a young man in the back who was actually a young minister kind of tentatively raised his hand and said, Sir, I'm, I represent the oldest company in the city. Our company was started 1,900 years ago, and our company is still alive and doing well. And all those businessmen clapped their hands and kind of chuckled, and they couldn't refute him because it was the truth. They, he was a part of the greatest company, and that is the redeemed people of God. Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you know that you're part of the greatest thing in the, in the entire universe? You're part of the church, if you know Jesus Christ. A man was driving by a little ball field, and he saw the ball game, the baseball game, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and see the game. He stopped, and he got in the bleachers. He went up to the dugout, and he asked the young man, he said, you know, what, who's, who's winning? How's everything going? He said, the young man said, well, we're behind 18 to nothing. That's a baseball game. Now, you know that baseball, that's not good, is it? He said, we're behind 18 to nothing. And the, the man said, well, son, you don't look very discouraged. He said, discouraged? Why should I be discouraged? We hadn't even had our chance at bat yet. And when I think about that, I think about God's people. And I think about circumstances that God's people had been in through the years. I think about David. Israel faced the giant. Israel faced the Philistines. But David hadn't had his chance yet. He hadn't had his chance at bat yet. Remember that? He said, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a shield. But I come to you. I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I think about the 12 disciples standing there. Facing the 5,000, probably plus women and children, maybe 10 or 15,000 hungry. Jesus sent them away, but Jesus hadn't had his chance at bat yet. He hadn't had a chance to take the five loaves and the two fishes and bless them and feed the multitudes. I think this morning about the angry mob and Pilate saying, you got to seal the tomb. And they sealed that tomb where Christ was. But God had to say, I hadn't had my turn yet. And on the third day, Jesus rose. And he's alive today. I think about the church today with our challenges in the church around our nation, around the world. But I want you to know we haven't had our chance at bat fully yet. And we're going to win because he said, I build the church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. In this series, we've been looking at rediscovering the church. And the reason we're doing that is because it's necessary even though the church has been around for 2,000 years, there's purported to be 33,000 denominations in our world today. Every denomination, every stripe, casual, liturgical, contemporary, traditional. Do we need to rediscover the church? Yes, because if you look even now 
is what is going on in the United Methodist Church. I don't know if you're keeping up with that. In the Methodist Church today in our land, they're, they're in a fierce battle for the soul of their church. And I've watched interviews on both sides of the, the homosexual transgender issue. Do you realize there's a godly, I wouldn't even say it's a remnant, not even a remnant. There's a strong, traditional, Bible-loving group among the United Methodist Church that believe that Christ is Savior, that believe the Word of God is the Word of God for now and forevermore, and they're fighting for the soul of their, congreg- of their denomination. And I heard this week an interview of a godly, godly Methodist pastor. You know, to me, I, could, I don't really care about titles. Listen, if you love Jesus, you're my brother. And I heard a godly Methodist pastor, and I even let my wife listen to it. I said, listen to this guy. Listen to this pastor, this brother. He was saying that we believe, it's the, we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. We believe marriage between a man and a woman. We believe that, that, that we are to hold to the traditions that traditionally that we have held to in the Methodist church. Do we need to rediscover the church? Listen, you're part of a, an incredible movement of God in the assemblies of God. Perfect? No, there's nothing perfect except God. But you're a part of an organization. And, and it's really more of a fellowship. That, that we believe in traditional marriage. We have a high view of Scripture. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in missions. We believe in calling people a holy, godly living. We are part of something wonderful. Let's keep it strong. Let's contend for the faith which was once and all delivered to the saints. There's some things that we may bend on here and there that may not have to do with fun. Yeah, things do change. We don't live in the 40s anymore, but this book never changes. Come on, this, remember what uh, old, that old guy, uh, uh, what was his name? He, he held that gun in his hand. He said, they'll have to pry this out of my hands. Well, I'm not really into that, but I can tell you this. They're going to have to pry this out of my hands. I love it more than I've ever loved it before because it's the word of Jesus to us. Yeah, we need to rediscover the church because the church vacillates back and forth from life to death, from, from, from commitment to apostasy, and we need to make sure that we are the church that he gave us. And, and we need to understand what that is. We've, we've looked at uh, rediscovering our, our Messiah in his wonderful glory. We've looked at rediscovering our message with its power to redeem. We've looked at rediscovering our mission with its call to go, 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 and to proclaim. But in this series, we cannot, we would fail if we don't rediscover our ministry. Our ministry. We're going to look at Peter's writing today, really the Holy Spirit's writing through Peter. Now, Peter was a very unlikely candidate, was he not? Yeah. Reminds us of, reminds me of us. First of all, he was an unlikely candidate because he was a fisherman. He wasn't trained in the rabbinical schools. Even after he received the Holy Spirit, when he preached, they said they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. That didn't mean they were stupid. They had more wisdom than all the Pharisees put together because they had had three and a half years of the greatest seminary you could have. They had walked with Christ. They, have, they, have, they had been with Jesus. But what an unlikely candidate. Have you noticed that God picks people that you don't pick? Have you ever noticed that God chooses people that we would never choose? 
It's interesting, when the Lord selected David, Jesse and his brothers didn't even call him to the meeting. They never dreamed in a million years that, that Samuel would take the flask of oil and anoint David to be the next great king of Israel. Because God chooses people that we would never choose. The Lord said this, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for the Lord looks at the outward appearance. For, for man looks at the outward appearance. He said, but the Lord looks at what? The Lord looks at the heart. Apostle Peter, with his personality flaws, could get angry at times, certainly carnal and self-seeking at times. I mean, anyone that would brag about who's the greatest had some real ministry issues. Come on. Can you imagine going to a men's meeting and somebody walking in? Hey, what are you guys talking about? We're talking about who's, going to be the, who's the greatest in the church. How silly. But yet God chose them, right? Hope for us. Hope for us. Peter failed the Lord. You ever failed the Lord? We all have. He denied the Lord three times. But yet the Lord restored him. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. We are the body of Christ. Say that with me. The body of Christ. Get that in your heart. We are the body of Christ. As a body, the Lord wants every part of his body to be functioning. The Lord wants every part of his body, local bodies, local churches like this church, every part of the body functioning, healthy, serving, contributing for the advance of the gospel. Hear this. Every part of this church is needed if this church is going to be what the Lord wants it to be. Listen to this verse closely. Watch it on the screen. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into the head, which is Christ. Who is, who is the head? Christ. For whom the whole body joined and knit together with every uh, together by what every joint supplies every part working according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love every part is needed every person has a ministry you have a ministry. Build yourself into this church. If you give of your finance to defray its expenses, you're like a pillar supporting God's house. If you welcome people into its membership, you're like a door to God's house. If you teach a class, you're like a window letting the light in. Build yourself into this church. Every person, every Christian is needed if Trinity Life Church is going to be a bright light shining on this hill. Every member is valuable. The eye is placed in the upper part of the head so that by virtue of its position, it's easy for it to entertain a high opinion of itself. The human hands drop down to the side of the body so that it's natural, it's natural for the eye to look down upon the hand, both literally 
and figuratively. But the hand knows how to speak up and defend itself for its usefulness. Suddenly a fly lights upon the eye, and instantly the hand is elevated to brush away the fly. And says to the eye, the hand says to the eye, that you do need me. The hand, the hand goes on to plow the ground, to plant the seed, to reap the harvest. It mills the wheat into flour. It kneads the dough and that makes bread. Then it turns to the eye and says, the hand says to the eye, you eye would have died long ago if, you, if, I hadn't, if it hadn't been for my labor for you. Without the food I've earned, you'd become sightless and starved years ago. You cannot do without me, nor more, no more than I can do without you. And Paul said this in his writing, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No one in this church, no one can say to someone else, You are not needed. Everyone is needed. Just like every part of your body is needed. If anyone has ever had some kind of stroke or some maiming in some way, you know how just losing one part or one function of your physical body, how difficult it is. And oh, how difficult it is when the body of Christ doesn't realize that we all have a ministry and we're all part. We're all part. There's no one, listen, there's no one on the bench in God's team. There's no bench in God's team. There's no bench in God's team. Everyone is in the game and everyone must get in the game. Everyone. It is a great discovery to know what we can do well. It is a great discovery to know what we can do well. And doing it well, doing it well is the only way for the body of Christ to function and to thrive. There was in an orchestra... A person who played the piccolo. In the midst of the, 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 the thunderous drums. And, and, and the loud blowing of the, of the tuba. And all the noise. The person playing the piccolo. Thought to themselves. What good is my little instrument? All of a sudden. The conductor motioned for everything to stop. And all of a sudden, the noise died down, and you could have heard a pin drop. And the conductor said, where is the piccolo? And I think that's what God says. The great conductor, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There may be great ministries going on. There may be visible ministries going on. But I think sometimes God wants to stop it all and say, where are the piccolos? You matter too. You matter too. Whether it's praying alone for the church, whether it's handing out a bulletin, whether it's going to knock a door, whether it's to pick somebody up in a van, whether it's to help clean the church, whatever it is, God says, where is the piccolo? Because it takes everyone for the church to be. A great church. A pastor received a phone call. And the man on the other end said, I want to place church membership, pastor. And the pastor said, tell me a little about yourself. You're wanting to 
place church membership. It's kind of like, you know, call in and order food, I guess. And he said, well, but here's, here's what you need to know, Pastor. I, I don't want to worship every week. I really don't want to study the Bible much. I, I don't want to visit the sick, sick. I don't want to serve as a leader, and I really don't want to be a teacher either. And the pastor said, well, sir, I'm, I'm, I commend you for wanting church membership, but I want you to know that you have, you've really called the wrong church. The church that you're wanting is actually in another part of town. Let me give you the address. So he gave the gentleman the address, took the address down, he got in his car, and he went to the directions of where this church that this pastor said that he would fit in. He drove up, he drove to a very older part of town, he drove up in front of a broken down, dilapidated church, windows were out, doors were off, shutters were falling down, all that was needed was just to plow it over with a bulldozer. Nobody even met there anymore. And the guy got the message that with that kind of attitude, that's where the church is headed. That's where the church is headed. It would just be better to be abandoned and boarded up. But God's saying today, where are the piccolos? Come on. Here's the question today. We'll be quick. How can I make a difference in my church? How can I be a difference maker? How can I use the gifts, talents, and abilities which Christ has given me to be a difference maker, to be a fire starter? How can I make a difference? How can I be an effective servant of the Lord? Whether I'm a tuba or whether I am a piccolo, how do I do that? Look at these verses on the screen here. Incredible verses. Peter's going to show us how. 1 Peter 4, 7-11. Here's how it reads. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Notice verse 10 and 11. As each one has received... A gift. Now, I want you to say, I won't read, have you read it all with me, but I want you to hear that, and I want you to hear yourself saying it, because this is God's word to you. Read that with me. As each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, you see, I have a speaking gift. It would be no use for me to be your pastor if I had no speaking gift. Because I would just stand here and look at you. But here, if anyone speaks, let him speak. Notice this. As the oracles, as the oracles of God. Now let me tell you, kind of just a little nugget here. I don't believe that just simply means the general word of God. I believe what that verse is saying is the word of God, yes. But how many of you know that for every occasion, God has a now word for his people? So it says that when someone speaks, let them have the word of God for that moment, for that time, for that occasion. Why? Because the one who is speaking should be alone with God, should be in the word of God, should hear from God. And we're speaking the very oracles of God in the sense God's word for God's people at that time. Notice this. 
let anyone minister, if anyone ministers, let him do it. Don't, don't think about it. Do it. You know, didn't Nike say that? Just do it. I had a gentleman, I pastored a church in Pennsylvania about seven years, and I went to that church, and the gentleman, seven years, he, met, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to find the will of God. I'm struggling with the will of God, and I know there's something the Lord has for me to do. Do you realize almost seven years later, he was still saying the same thing? Oh, no, God, it's like, it's like it's some carrot on a stick somewhere. That is, the will of God is not that way. Why would God tell us to do things that are mystery? No, the will of God is very clear to us. God will show us. And the main thing is this. Don't sit around for 40 years saying, you know, I'm going I'm to figure out what God wants me to do. No, the Bible said whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. There's always something we can do. God's saying, where are the piccolos? Come on. So look at this. Let him do it. As with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be long the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to give you some things very quickly here. Here's the question. We're discovering, rediscovering our ministry. Here's our theme today. Here's our objective today. And that's this. Everyone has a ministry. The question is this. How can I be effective in blessing the church? How can I be a difference maker? How can I be a team player? How can I advance the kingdom of God? Peter gives us these, and I'm going to outline them for you here. Verse 7 and 8, here's the first thing. You've got to guard your faith. Guard your faith. Notice this. First of all, quickly, you've got to guard your time. Look at this. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. If something's at hand, it's right there. It's, it's within reach. That means this. We have to guard our time. I read of a, you know, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. He's always coming. It's nearer now than when we first believe, Romans says. Ephesians 5, 16 says, redeem the time for the days are evil. That means that use every opportunity for its maximum. Don't waste time. I'm going to tell you something. That's something that will grade on me. I'm not a time waster. By 11 o'clock Friday morning, I'd already worked seven hours. I'm talking about working seven hours, not setting up delirious. I told so I said, man, I didn't work seven hours. I'm tired already. I already worked seven hours. Why? You don't waste time. Why? You're given just a certain amount of time. And the Bible said if we're going to be effective, we've got to guard our faith, which means we've got to guard our time. You know what Queen Elizabeth said? She said this. While she was dying, she said, all my possessions for a moment of time. People that waste time are going to say that at the end. And all, all of us have, have regrets and things we wish we had done quicker or whatever else. But, but I, people that waste time or spend time doing things which are just carnal and frivolous, they're going to regret it one day. All my possessions for one moment of time. So you can recycle plastic. You can recycle metals. You can recycle fabric. You can recycle a lot of things. Do you realize that as far as for us, time is not recyclable? You're never going to get it back. It's not like an ocean that comes in and out. It's like a river, and when it goes by, it's gone forever. We need to be in every service. We need to be in every prayer meeting we can. We need to use every moment to share Christ and to, to be what he desires for us to be. It said the costliest minutes on television are... When the clock stops, 
during the Super Bowl. The most costly minutes on television when the clock stops. Because the advertisers know there's no other time when they're going to reach 80 million plus people all at once. But for us, the most important time is not Super Bowl or any other kind of thing. It's now. Right now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, now, now is the most important part of our lives. Now, this morning, this moment, now. You've got to guard your time. You've got to guard your thinking. Look at verse 7. Be sober. Be serious. This translation, I like that. Be serious. Be serious. I, I am not. I, don't, I probably should tell more jokes maybe, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm serious about God. I'm serious about the church. Why? Because this is what the Bible says. How serious are we about our relationship with God? Are we thinking soberly about God? Are we thinking soberly about eternity? Eternal matters are serious matters. I won't read it, but in... in, in Hebrews, it says that God is a consuming fire. What an awesome God he is. He loves us, but you don't trifle with him. He is to be obeyed fully. He is to be reverenced fearfully. He is to be worshipped fervently. We need to be sober. If we're going to be effective as servants of the Lord, we need to be serious about our ministry, serious about the will of God and the call of God in our lives, and we need to be serious that we have an adversary who wants to destroy us and trip us up, and he wants to destroy your families. You think your little children, just because you go to church, you think your little children are not a target of the enemy? He would love to destroy your children. He would love to destroy your marriage. He would love to destroy you as a person. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion sinking, who may, he may devour. The apostle Peter again he wasn't serious. Jesus said this in Luke, Luke 22. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Why? Because he knew, Satan somehow knew that Peter would be the great apostle to lead the church. He would be the great apostle to preach on Pentecost. He wanted to stop that. Do you know the enemy strategizing right now to stop you from serving in this church? Certainly he is. Jesus was clear. You're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. Oh, not me, Lord. It says it here in Luke. Not me. I'm, you know, I'd go to the, to the farthest reaches of the earth. I'm paraphrasing. I'll, if all these guys deny you, I won't deny you. Jesus says, you're not being serious. You don't even know your own weaknesses. We need to be serious about this. We need to be serious. One of the most serious things happening in the modern church is this. People that once walked very close to God are nigh apostates today. They don't even know. They're going to go to the place that the lost people go to. You say, no, 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 no. I believe in once saved, always saved. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. Listen to this verse. Hebrews 10, verse 36 through 9. It says, notice, two Christians. This is two Christians. For we have need of endurance so that after we've done the will of God, we may receive the promise for, for, for yet a little while. And he who comes, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, why would that even be there if there was no warning? 
It's a real warning. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those. We, are we, the believers, we are not of those who draw back, but those who believe. The verb, believing, continue to believe. Not the noun. Not the noun, belief. Not believing a doctrinal statement on some church website, but believing a living faith that unites me with Christ. A living faith that is obedient. A living faith that's yielded and surrendered and submitted to the will of God. A real faith that we keep drawing in and drawing nigh, as Hebrews says. Draw nigh. Keep drawing nigh. Keep coming to the great high priest. To what? Believing to the saving of our soul. We are saved, but we're really not saved yet. We're not home yet. We're not fully redeemed yet. There's still a journey. We need to guard our thinking. We also need to guard our relationship with God. Verse 7, be watchful in prayer. Now hear this. Ministry begins and ends with a relationship with God. Ministry is not here, do these multiplicity of things and it's all right. No, ministry starts with our relationship with God. It's about serving God. It's about walking close with God. It's about pouring out our heart in service from the Lord's Spirit to other people to build the church. Where are the piccolos? Huh? And to serve him, we must know him. And to know him, we must spend time with him. And spending time with him is beautiful. Prayer. Time quietly. Meditating on scripture. That's where ministry becomes beautiful. Because you're not just doing some activity that a lost person could do. You're doing it through the Spirit. You're doing it because God has put the anointing upon you. You're doing this because you love Jesus. Hallelujah. Prayer. Here's what Elijah was greatly used. It says this of Elijah. Elijah was a man, like, had a nature like ours, and he prayed. And later on in Elijah's life, he got discouraged. And what did he do? He got alone out in the wilderness and he prayed. And he said, Lord, I'm discouraged. And God showed up, encouraged him, gave him a meal, helped him. We got to guard our love. Verse 8, have fervent love. That means to boil, to be hot. All ministry must flow out of God, uh, our love for God. I won't read it, but First John 4, 12 through 16 Ministry is useless without love, loving God first and letting that flow out. We also have to guard our attitude. Verse 9, he said hospitality without grumbling. Now, we don't live in this culture so much today, but we still need hospitality. We need to open our homes and open our lives to people. In that day, if you can imagine, no hotels, anything like this, persecution, the, 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 the dispersion, Christians scattered everywhere from all the persecutions or traveling ministers. What, are they going to sleep under a tree? Yeah, Paul did. He was out in the deep and in the ocean and everywhere. But wasn't it a wonderful thing to, to invite someone to your home? And, and our homes are probably, our smallest homes are probably three or four times bigger than those first century homes. You're talking about close comfort. You're talking about close quarters. But yet, it said here, you're to do this, open your lives and how are we to do it? Without grumbling. Verse 9. See, I thought about Psalms. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
Come on. Come before his presence with singing. Philippians says this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And then it says, Do all things without complaining and without disputing. We need to guard our attitude. So what do we need to do to be, make, be difference makers? First of all, we've got to guard our faith. The last two will be very quickly. Secondly, we need to govern our faith. Look at verse 10. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, the multifaceted grace of God. You know, it's the orchestra again. The tuba, the piccolo, the, 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 you know, the violin. It's the multifaceted grace of God. God's grace flowing through everyone together as we proclaim Christ. But notice this. We've got to govern our faith. We, we are stewards. And I just refer you to the parable of the talents. Would you read that this week? The Lord gave talents out, some five, some th- two, three, two. And um, as he gave those talents out, he went into a far country, came back later to give account, to bring them to account. We're, we're, we've got to govern what God's given us. Nobody's going to employ it. Nobody's going to get you up. And, you know, an angel's not going to shake you and get you up on a Sunday morning to teach a kid's class. That's something you have to do. You're a steward. Think about this in that parable. In that parable, I'll just reference it, and then we'll close. All God's servants, all God's servants have been given resources, abilities, opportunities to serve the Lord. Everyone was given talents. We are responsible to develop them and employ them. We're responsible. We, we are going to be accountable when we stand before God, what we did with our talents, treasures, and abilities. We all have them. We all need to employ them, and we're all going to give account to them. And then, here's a sobering thought. Our future reward in heaven will be dependent on our faithfulness to God now. We're writing our story now. What we'll have in heaven, the rewards, the, the enjoyments that we'll have in eternity, is being determined how faithful we are to him now. How do I become a difference maker? We guard our faith. We govern our faith. Here's the last thing, and that's this. We glorify God with our faith. Look at verse 11. It says that in all things God may be glorified, whom belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. How do we glorify him in our ministry? Because everyone has a ministry. I would tell you three things, and we'll close. You've got to embrace your ministry. You've got to fully embrace your ministry. I've had to embrace my ministry. How I'm preaching to you this morning is how I've preached for ever, over 30 years. That's how I've taught the Word of God. Just like I'm teaching you today, of course, it was in seed form when I started out. I never wanted to run around the church and wave hankies. I just never wanted to do that. I see people do that. I thought, I don't want to do that. I want to teach the Word of God. I want to give the Word of God. I want to give Scripture. I want to give meeting. I want to give Word meetings. I want to get the Word of God in you because that's who God's put in me. I had to embrace that. And I'd go to these ultra-Pentecostal churches, and they'd roll around and run around, and everybody would get happy, but we never learned anything. Everybody remained immature for 40 years. I mean, it's only the Word of God that will mature the church. Growing up as we speak the Word of God, I had to embrace my ministry. You have to embrace who you are. If I could tell, we have some young ministers, Taylor and Reese, these guys. If I could tell you anything, embrace who you are. Don't get on YouTube and mimic anyone. As soon as you do it, you don't have the anointing anymore. God doesn't anoint phonies. God doesn't anoint play actors. Embrace who you are. Speak like you speak. The anointing that's on you. Embrace your ministry. Here's what Harry Ward Beecher said. Listen, some churches are like lighthouses built of stone. 
so strong that the thunder of the sea cannot move them. Notice, listen, the light that shines from these churches is the light shining through the believers. Sinners are not, are not reached solely through the church's ceremony, pomp, beautiful music, or largeness. They are reached through the Christ-likeness of every individual believer. End quote. Embrace your ministry. It's how you glorify him. Energetically serve in your ministry. Verse 11, let him do it. Let him do it. Let him do it. An Australian minister went out in the bush, way out in the bush. He was supposed to preach at a little little church out there. He got out there. He realized it got dusk. It got evening. There were no lights out there. He was thinking, how am I going to conduct service? The, it's, it's getting dark. How am I going to preach? How, how, what are we going to do here? There's no lights in this little brush church. All of a sudden, he looks out, and he sees a little flickering of lights out coming. He said, what is that? All of a sudden, here comes the church. And they all have old hurricane lanterns. And every of them came from here, came from there, coming out of the darkness. And they took all those lamps and they put them all around that little church out in the brush. And that thing was illuminated as bright as the sun almost. And that's how it needs to be. We all need to reflect the Lord. We all have a ministry. And we can make the church a great church. And then I, I end with this. We need to equitably serve the Lord with the ability which he gives us. And I use the word equitably because it's not fair that someone do all the work and then someone, you know, it's not, it's not fair. It's not fair that, you know, you have 10 people on the wagon and you have one guy pushing the wagon. That's not fair. Come on, say amen. What are we doing? We're doing the church. We're going to church. Well, hey, one or two people are pushing. I mean, no, it's only fair that we equitably, equitably do our part. Here's, here's what your church would say to you. Here's what, and I'll close. Here's what your church, this little building and the building we're going to build, your church is going to talk to you right now. We're going to personify the church. Your church is going to talk to you. I am your church. Make of me what you will. I shall reflect you as clearly as a mirror. I shall reflect you. As clearly as a mirror. If outwardly my, my appearance is pleasing and inviting, it is because you made me so. If within my spiritual atmosphere is kindness and earnestness and reverence and friendliness and worshipfulness, sincerity, sympathy, and, and yet a strong, divine, yet humanly expressed, it is because it is the manifestation of the spirit of those who contribute to its membership. But if you, if you should by chance... Find me a bit cold and dull. I beg you not to condemn me, for I show forth the only kind of life I shall receive from you. I have no life or spirit apart from you. Of this may you always be assured. I will respond instantly to every wish practically expressed, for I am the reflective image of your own soul. May, may we stand. Look at the screen. I close with this. If you could play. Just play softly. Here's our conclusion today. If you would put this up. If you have it. I think you do. This is called. This is my church. 
this is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a work, a great work, if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into the fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love and faith and service if I, who make it what it is, am am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I think the way to conclude this service is just with a commitment from our own hearts. We've heard the word of the Lord today. We are the church. Where are the piccolos? You may feel like a piccolo. But the great conductor, our Lord Jesus, says, where are my piccolos? You may have a more visible ministry. But it all needs to be humbly to the glory of our God. I guess the call is simply this. And I think the word of God has done its work in our hearts. But I, I, I just personally, I commit to do my best to build the church. How about you? I'm going to do my best, Pastor, to be one of those lights, to contribute my part, to make this church a great church. This church has an incredible future, an incredible vision. We certainly need the help of the Lord. But without you, it can never happen. I end this service today where I begin, and that's this. Every Christian has a ministry. Let's pray. Father, today, how grateful we are for your mercy and your love that you've, you've, you've deposited within us the manifold grace of God. In this room, there's so many talents. In this room, there's so many different anointings that you've given Some have an anointing for children's ministry. Some for youth or senior adult ministry or prayer ministry or evangelism. Some have teaching gifts. Some have helps gifts. Lord, some in this room will never preach a sermon or teach a lesson, but they know how to clean the kitchen. They know how to make people feel welcome. They have a cheerful spirit. And they're helpers of God's kingdom. My prayer today to you, Father, is that you would help each of us, help every one of us find our place and to fully embrace the ministry, fully embrace and fully surrender who we are. It's going to cost us. We know that, Lord. It's going to cost us. It'll cost us. We will have to lay aside things because we can't serve you and at the same time be involved in everything that this world offers. Can't do it. We have to make a choice to die to self. And to take up the cross and to say, yes, yes. But we say that today. Yes to you, Lord. Yes to your plan. Yes to your purpose. Yes to your will. I pray that you would dismiss us in the love and grace of God. I pray that you would let us know fully, Father, the 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon us all. And we ask this in that holy name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. I love you, church. You're dismissed in the Lord. God bless you.